Welcome to the Millennial Career Playbook's company interview series, which focuses on corporate cultures worth knowing about if you're a job-seeking millennial or simply enjoy working in millennial-friendly environments. This series offers you company-specific information you won't find anywhere else, helping you decide if a particular firm is a great fit for you, and also offering you tips on how to most effectively land a job with the company. I'm Debbie Woldrich, CEO of outsource training company TTC Innovations, which specializes in providing corporations with customized millennial-focused training solutions. Hosting this series with me is best-selling author Haya Bender, whose credits include five dummies books and a complete idiot's guide, and articles for the New York Times. Please frequently visit our The Millennial Career Playbook website at tmcpb.com, as we're always adding new interviews and other content. Joining Hi and I today is Delta Emerson, president of Global Shared Services for Ryan, an award-winning tax services firm. Delta, can you tell us a little bit about yourself and your role at Ryan? I am have been with Ryan for about 11 and a half years. I'm president of our Global Shared Services unit, and that's a unit of about 180 people who are around the world who support our service delivery professionals. So we have groups that include HR, finance, information technology, legal, marketing, number of different groups, corporate development, those that are helping us grow the company as well. But all of the groups that are really, we hope, we like to be perceived as the wind beneath the wings of the rest of the organization, ensuring that they have what they need so that they can effectively do their job. And can you explain to our audience what Ryan does? Well, Ryan is a professional services firm, a global tax services firm that is 24 years old this summer. And we are based in Dallas, Texas. We have about 2,200 employees at this point around the world. We are global, so we're in a number of different countries. We essentially work with corporations in order to help them reduce their tax liability, either through recovery or through planning so that they are proactively ensuring that they're paying the right amount of tax to the government entities that they, to whom they owe those taxes. So we, we have a very large percentage of our employees who are knowledge workers that are have degrees that range from accounting, business, finance, law. We have, have a lot of different disciplines, but essentially we're working with numbers and we're working with helping companies save the money that they can use then to reinvest that capital and grow their businesses, which ultimately we think helps the ecosystem as far as making all the economies around the world better and, and the world a better place. What makes Ryan such a popular company for millennials? Well, one of the things that we have found that is really a big attractor is not just the challenge itself. We have a unique entrepreneurial approach to the way that we handle our business model, so that's very exciting. But we also feel like the thing that's a draw is the fact that we have a very flexible work environment. Our folks can work anywhere, anytime, as long as they achieve the results that we've mutually agreed upon. And that's a little unique. We've designed it. It's been in place for about eight years. And it's been designed in a way that doesn't cause people to have to raise their hands and ask permission. There's obviously a lot of communication and collaboration and consideration. But many of the programs that are flex that are out there have some boundaries and rules around them and forms to fill out and you're on record as being on flex or not. And we really don't have that artificial boundary, those boundaries in place. Our, our, our professionals are able to 
on a daily, a weekly basis, figure out where they need to be to get their, their jobs done. And it sometimes depends on work on their preference. Some people like to be in an office setting, working pretty much head down. Others are comfortable moving between remote locations and in an office. So those two things, the great challenge that we have combined with that flexibility that let individuals lead their whole lives without guilt, i.e. go to a soccer game uh, with a child, drop, drop a child off at daycare, don't ca take care of an elderly parent. None of those things are guilt factors anymore because they can figure out where they need to be and when they need to be there, including work, and get the job done. So we think those two things are the big draws. Some millennials who choose not to come work in the office, how do they work with their managers? How do they work with mentors? Do they have that availability if they're not physically on site? They do have that availability every one day one when they come to work for Ryan. It's an option. However, there is that ramp up time with any of us, regardless of the positions we hold. You're going to have to get used to the business. You know what you've brought to the table, but there is that time of just kind of getting familiar with the territory. So it varies from individual to individual and it varies from team to team. But we, all of our teams have the opportunity to go through an experience that's called a blueprint workshop. And it's a very short workshop, but it basically facilitates a discussion where team members can figure out how are we going to work together. And it encourages them through some pretty open discussion to pull things out and talk about things that could be the elephants in the room if not talked about. For example, you might have an individual on a team who does have a need to come in consistently at a later time than others on the team do because maybe they're dropping a child off at daycare or there may be something else. Or they may just have a preference and say, hey, I'm a, I'm a, I love to work at midnight and I, my tendency is going to be to get my hours in and get my and focus on my work probably later in the day. But the teams work together and have conversations about what are the business needs that we're accomplishing. We are, our company is very aligned. Everybody in the company can tell you what our financial goals are and what our main priorities are. And then down to their position and their team, they're also able to show you how those all link so they focus on that. What are we trying to do as a group and what are we as individuals being held responsible for? And then on top of that, how do I as an individual want to contribute to that as far as where I'm going to be in the office and working remotely? And then the team creates a blueprint. It's pretty much just a ground rules document that they agree to. This is how we're going to communicate with each other. This is when we will all be together at the same time. And every team's ground rule document looks a little bit different but it is something that they, once they've created it, it really helps them not be judgmental about each other and there aren't any surprises. They figure out how they're going to even socialize with each other. All the things that make work a wonderful place to be versus something that people are dreading to participate in. But we did find early on when we did not have that in place, some teams were figuring that out intuitively. Others were struggling a little bit. So it's been a really big help for that to happen. Back to your original question, I think it's a normal expectation for anyone embracing a new challenge and a new job that it would be very necessary, is very necessary to spend time with the people and in the place where things are happening and then figure out what flex looks like. It's probably not a good idea if you're walking into a flex environment to say, okay, glad to be here and now I'm, I'm off. Let me know if you need me. There's a level of maturity that has to come with that as well and just what we call role reality. So there are a lot of things you have to juggle professionally and maturely to figure that out. And how quickly after they come on board to Ryan would they be eligible to start working in a flexible environment? Is that something they can do first thing or do you bring them in for the office for a while? 
Yes, they can adopt it first thing. It's not something where the clock is ticking, except for the blueprint training and, and policies and things around how my Ryan works and how benefits work and all that. The only policy we have that ties to it is just a couple of sentences that's posted on our intranet that is, it describes a little bit about what my Ryan is and it says that if an individual for performance reasons is not succeeding, that a manager has the right to ask that individual to suspend use of the flexibility and to work more closely with how they're going to handle hours. I've not been aware of a situation where that's happened in the eight years that we've been here. We found some people that really liked to have the, the rigid hours and they struggled with it a little bit, but for the most part, once people get in and, and they're focused on every, when you start, you are very clear about what your individual goals are that you're going to be expected to achieve and we, we track those very regularly. When people are clear about what they have to do, they know where they need to be, when they need to be there, and who they need to be working with. So it normally that project management piece comes into play. What I've experienced and noticed through the years that we've been involved in this is that companies that try to do this with a light switch approach without doing some planning around all of this about how you measure results, how you define them, how you talk about them, they seem to have the biggest challenge. And I really, having seen a couple of larger companies that have stepped away from the flexibility and attributing it to the fact that everybody needs to be together all the time to collaborate. When you dig under the covers and look at that a little more closely, some of the stories that you hear are really, there were, there were controls and conversations not taking place all along that probably would have helped. So I think that you have to lay the groundwork and make sure that you agree as a company. We said basically all you have to do is get your results. Well, that's easy to say, but if you don't have a way to measure those results and talk about them intelligently on an individual and a team and a company basis, those are kind of empty words and you can't manage to that. So you have to do the homework to figure out how to have really intelligent and constructive conversations. Can you explain a little bit more about the My Ryan program? Well, my Ryan is really, in a nutshell, that ability to work 24-7 kind of anywhere that you want and at any time as long as you achieve the results. There are a number of different stipulations around that that clarify that our goal is to achieve superior client service for our internal and our external clients. Internal being those folks that are in my group that are on, on the global shared services side are support and their direct clients are all the employees of Ryan. So they have to achieve excellent client service. And we, we have evaluations that are done. We solicit feedback from our internal clients to get numbers that then drive incentives and bonuses. So client service is, is our mantra. And externally the same, our calling card, Ryan's calling card is superior client service. And we measure that and we have proven through the years that we, we are really good at that. So my Ryan as a program, the thing that is unique about it is there in those programs that have forms that you have to fill out and say, I'm going to commit for the next six months, that I'll be in the office for this period of time, and these are my hours. We don't have those. It really is more of just the tenets around it are fairly general and, and talk about why we're doing it and what we're trying to achieve and what that looks like. And I'm looking at a quote that our CEO, we captured this when we first rolled out My Ryan. It was a, it was a huge change for us in 2008 because we had, been, we had been perceived as, and we actually were, a very draconian environment. We were a FaceTime environment. So when he stood up in front of our management team, our leadership team in 2008 and said, we are going to do this, people really jaws dropped. But he said this, and I, I wrote this down when he said it, he said, in exchange, for incredible flexibility and freedom, 
comes the responsibility and the accountability for producing results. And then he went on as we went through that meeting to talk about what that would look like and, and what we were hoping and expecting from our folks. So the definition of it, just a few bullets, are things like everyone focuses on results, not hours, not face time. People have flexible work schedules and locations. Now to do that, we had to make sure that we equipped people with the technologies and to make sure that we upgraded a little bit there so everybody in the company was on a level playing field there. We also, another tenant, employees eliminate those activities that waste time and money. So we went through a huge look in the mirror as a company and ask every individual and every group just to really analyze what are we doing and why are we doing it? Are there things we're doing just because we've been doing them for years and we don't really see value in it? So a lot of process improvement came out of that. And another tenant, everyone collaborates and supports each other. We realized if people went off in a vacuum and acted as individuals versus together in this, that we could end up with an environment that would not work. So a lot of that's where the blueprints came to be. We also, one of our tenants is we wanted to have an environment where employees thrive in a guilt-free work environment, meaning that if I come in today at 8 o'clock in the morning and I'm, and I'm slaving away, and I hear the door open or see you get off the elevator at 10.30, that I should not be looking at my watch and giving you that look and wondering where the heck you've been, nor should you be looking at me because you know my car was in the parking lot on Saturday or at 7. We, we were respectful of the fact that everybody is making this work in their own way, so we want that guilt-free. And for you to go to see your child's soccer game or make that doctor's appointment and not feel like you have to explain or make up something. And then the last thing is really on the personal side, our goal with Ryan Ryan is to make sure that everyone has the freedom to achieve work-life success because we believe that if we are not creating an environment that lets people succeed at home, if they've got families, if they've got hobbies, things that they like to do, that if we are requiring them only to give attention to their jobs, the benefit is not going to be there. So that's essentially my Ryan in a nutshell and why it was formed. And again, I can't give off a list, get read off a list of the rules around it. It really is all about results. And tied to that, we've had to put a lot in place, already had much there that measures so those intelligent conversations can take place. And everything that a CEO cares about is what is where we started with this. Our CEO is an incredibly, and he will tell you this, he is a, a raging capitalist. And he, he spoke on Capitol Hill in February of 2012. He was invited with Admiral Mike Mullen and the, the CEO of Deloitte to, to stand up and talk about why flexibility was important. And he's very honest about the fact that he is in this to make money as a business and to make sure his company survives. And to do that, he has to take care of people and to take care of people, you have to honor their needs to, to take care of every part of their lives. And he tells the story about himself. He said, I realized one day, even though I'd been fighting this flexibility thing and, and I really appreciated the face time, I realized that in doing my own job, I had a flexible environment. Granted, I, he says, I'm at the top of the organization. I could do that. But I realized if I can do this, everybody can do it. And that's where we started. And, and we realized, too, though, we have to make sure our client satisfaction ratings uh, are very high. That means they're happy and that we have our business is solid, that our, our revenue is there, that turnover is low, that employee engagement is high. So everything that the CEO cares about is really where we started. We said, well, here's where we are. Our numbers are good. We're already very successful. And we can't do something that will cause that to slip. We need to get better. And that's what's been beautiful about it for us is that those numbers have all improved. And even our CEO, Brent Ryan, would say that he and his partners, when we started down this path, many of them just assumed this place is going to close its doors in a week because nobody will show up. 
and our clients are going to wonder where we are and, and they're going to see that we're doing something that's hurting them. And that didn't happen. What's happened as well is people value this so much that they will do anything to continue to work in an environment like this and they give more than 100% of themselves in a very quality way, not a FaceTime way. So it's a win-win. It's a win-win for the company. It's a win-win for employees. It's a win-win for the, the children and families of employees. It's not to say there aren't bumps in the road occasionally, but if done well, it is definitely the right thing to do in this day and age because we're living in a, an environment, a, a world that allows us to be connected all the time. And that can work for us, it can work against us, and we believe that if, if used appropriately, technology really enables a company like ours to succeed. Do you have a sense of what percentage of your company is millennial? We have a fairly young population. We have, when we first started, about 65% probably fell into that category. I think we're probably at this point, because of acquisition and some changing demographics, we're probably on the millennial stats around the 50 I would say 50% of our, our, we hire about 40% of our employees straight out of college with five-year degrees in accounting finance business. So that's a constant flow that's coming through. And granted, that, that group is aging a little bit, but still many of them are in that millennial category today that we've hired in the past. Do you have any specific policies in place to encourage an open-door approach? Yes, we actually do. In fact, this week we have an open door policy that's on our intranet and I was looking at it with our CEO and I said, this is sadly out of date. It was written years ago before we moved in this direction. And so we looked at it because it just basically says if you have an issue, feel free to talk to a partner, to anyone you want to. It's, it's kind of a, a fuzzy thing. but recently, in the last couple of years, we've done several things to make sure that people can let us know how they're feeling. I spend probably 20% of my day looking at data that comes in from systems we have in place. One thing is a portal that exists that an employee can go to and they can anonymously, there are right now two choices. They can go in and offer a suggestion, a criticism, or if they feel that there's some sort of an ethics violation in the company, they can go to that portal. It's managed by an outside, a third party, so you can be completely anonymous. You can also give your name or and be assigned a case number if you want to remain anonymous, but that is giving us a huge amount of information about people's pulse. But also, we have a recognition system in place that we installed about a year and a half ago. That'll, it's kind of a social media look. It's like Facebook where employees can go in and recognize each other. They can recognize upwards, downwards, sideways. There are points associated with that that they accumulate that they can then turn in and shop online for thousands of items. But tied to that, in addition to being able to give each other recognition, every week they're given a chance to answer a Pulse question. How are you feeling today? How do you, do you feel like you're being recognized? Do you feel like you, do you understand what your goals are? There are four different questions that rotate, and there's even a little smiley faces where you can say just literally, here's my Pulse today. I'm a sad face. I'm a happy face. Five, you know, in between. And that data is all coming in anonymously. And we can, we can get, figure out basically in a very broad area what areas it's coming from, but the individual is protected. We do town halls as well, uh, live and virtual town halls where people can submit questions ahead of time anonymously and our CEO responds to those. We have very vibrant exit interviews to gather a lot of data. And we do surveys, engagement surveys through competitions for best places to work. We initially started down that path to get the recognition, but now we value that more because of the data that we get anonymously again from our employees about how they're feeling about Ryan. Related to that, 
the, the open door policy looks a little different today than it did years ago when, when those policies were written. I always think of a big mahogany door that's open when I think of that, where people kind of sneak through that door into a dark chamber very bravely to confront something they're afraid to talk to someone about, but they've mustered up the courage. And I think with the technology we've got and all these systems that are out there, it's a lot easier for people. They don't have to muster up a lot of courage. They can get out there with something they need to say and not have to have their name attached to it, or if they want to attach their name to it, they can. So we have taken full advantage of everything that's out there to leverage that and figure out what folks think we're doing well, but where we need to change, because we know that we can get really jaded and say, hey, we did, we installed MyRyan, implemented it eight years ago, and then we're done, because we know it's, it's a journey. It's, we'll never get there, and we will get, there are things that will have to change as we go, and we, we do that frequently. Regarding change, do you have systems in place if, say, someone sees something and says, you know, I think there's a better way to do this, and I think I can take the lead on an initiative to make this change. Uh, do you have any systems in place to, to support that, regardless of where someone is in the organization? Yes, it really the systems that I described, because everyone has the opportunity to raise their hand and be on the record with it, have anybody at Ryan, we're a very innovative company. It's been built by an entrepreneur who hires other like-minded entrepreneurs and really appreciate when people are willing to step forward and say, hey, I've got a, a crazy new idea. Will you let me run with it? One thing that I, I failed to mention that was a tipping point for us that falls into that category in 2007 when we were struggling with this concept of flexibility, we had been having discussions. Our CEO was fighting it. We had a team that was formed. And the tipping point occurred when um, one of our young managers came into our CEO one day and said, Brent, I love this company. I love the challenge. It's, it's a wonderful job, but here's my resignation. And he, he almost fell on the floor because she was one of our up-and-coming stars. And she was leaving because, and had accepted the position with another company because she was getting married and wanted to start a family. And we were that draconian environment where FaceTime meant everything. And she didn't see how she could make that work. So she wasn't being critical. It's just this doesn't match with where I am in my life. And as a result of that, not only did we retain her, but we put her as one of the lead people when the committee that we had formed were looking at flexibility, we pulled her into it, and she became our spokesperson. She became the person that we used to help champion others around the cause. So, yes, we do. That's not an ideal example because you're saying it took someone to threaten quitting. Uh, That's a good point. What, well, what, what I'm asking is if you have systems in place that actively support someone coming up and saying, you know, I want to make something that's a substantial change to our system. Uh, do you have, I'm just asking if there's any special incentives or if it's basically, well, the open door policy allows people to come forward and speak their mind. And uh, I'm just, I'm just kind of, no, you know, I, just I see asking. what you're saying. I'm actually, I'm, wor I'm working with someone on the outside right now looking at a, an innovation tool that, or a tool that solicits feedback that can lead to innovation and tracking uh, so that people can be incented. We do not have something like that in place. However, the suggestion portal that I mentioned, that system we call Ryan Matters, 
does allow people to offer any type of suggestion that they want, and this company is receptive to that, but we do not have a formal system yet in place that would track that, give it a number, and then cause there to be a stair-stepped incentive. Though I think I know, I have seen a lot of those, and I assume that's what you're what you're talking about. I'm just curious if there's anything you care to say about being a company that's 50% millennial and 50% not. Is that uh, an interesting way to work? Is there other or special challenges? I think that in this environment, because of the different generations that are in the workplace, yes, it does. It is an interesting place to work, but I think the fact that our conversations center on results helps us a lot. But we found that when we started moving into this flexible world where millennials very quickly get how the flexibility works and we have more traditional workers who really like the FaceTime, we anticipated that would be an issue. But we've found that the work that we've done to get teams to come together and communicate in the blueprint fashion has been very helpful. We've also done some training here. There's a book called CEO of Me that focuses on work style preferences. That has been very helpful too. But that's not totally generational, but in some ways it ties into that. We basically address diversity when we started doing our training related to flexibility to get people to understand that we believe that diversity is a whole different game in this environment. It's not just color of skin, ethnicity, religion, sexual orientation, all the traditional. There's also work style preference and the generational preference. And there's so much that's being done today to try to address that proactively with many companies on the generation side. But at Ryan, we haven't had a huge number of issues that pop up in that area because of the fact that we our conversations are about results. What do you, you know? What do you need from me? What you know, it's focused on stuff, and it's it's more of an impersonal discussion than generations. But you do have those people that tied to generation or preference have their own firm attitude about whether or not you should be at your desk and at a computer in an office often or not at all. Yeah, and we we do have presentation skills classes and people skills classes and things like that, which we've had for a long time especially with the advent, with iPhones and smart, everybody having smartphones. When I first started working at Ryan, we didn't even have, I'd come from, from an environment where everyone had Blackberries and they weren't part of the, the fabric here. And as we became a technology savvy company in that respect and found that we do a lot of, we have a lot of expectations around emails and how we handle those, that there's a different style of communication that's abbreviated, especially when it comes to emails and such. And we've had to, to figure out how to, to help people not change them and say, oh, you have to do it the way we did it 15 years ago, but kind of meet in the middle. I think that's the one thing that we've found in this whole journey is that we have to meet each other where we are. It's not just us meeting millennials where they are. It's millennials recognizing that when it comes right down to it, when they come into a workplace, there needs to be a mutual respect so that there's an understanding for how each of us got where we are and learn from each other and respect that and not judge that and then adjust accordingly so that we can communicate effectively but not just say magically overnight I'm going to turn you millennial into me so that you will now adopt my habits nor vice versa is a millennial is not likely going to turn somebody who's in their 40s or 50s into behavior that is exactly like theirs. And that's okay. It's not a right or a wrong. It's just where we are. So we have to, to learn to compromise and meet each other. 
something else that is often related to millennials is a lot of millennials want to feel that they're making a very positive difference in the world, that they're helping to save the world. I'm wondering if there are things with Ryan, both in terms of what Ryan does day to day on a for-profit basis and things that Ryan does outside of the for-profit operation yeah. to help facilitate a feeling that I'm, I'm helping save the world while I'm at this company. We do have a very vibrant community outreach initiative that is worldwide. We have a foundation that we formed about six years ago that's the Ryan Foundation and that covers the United States from a monetary standpoint. In our different countries we handle a little differently including India, Canada, Europe and other locations. But one of our core values, is, we only have seven and one of them is generosity. We share our success so our employees have paid time off those who are not exempt that are on the clock have paid time off. Those who are on my Ryan can work it however they want to volunteer community outreach. And we also uh, raise a lot of money through silent auctions and casual dress days and things like that for a number of charities. Last year we benefited over 97 charities worldwide. Some of the large ones like Habitat for Humanity, American Heart Association. We participate in relief uh, efforts like the Nepal effort. We had a firm-wide casual day and raised about $14,000 for Nepal for the different relief organizations around the world. So we fully recognize that people who are in, in any generation, but definitely the millenni millennial, want to give back and we give them an opportunity to that to lead initiatives. I think is that answering your question? Does that yeah, make no, sense? It, it does. Thank you. We have a lot of people it. we have a lot of people that serve on boards outside of our organization too. So it's it's a huge part of our fabric. That we we're a pretty pretty sophisticated company with what we've got, but if you just look at the fact that we've only got seven values listed and one of them is is that value around generosity, I think that that says a lot and people appreciate that a lot. What kind of tips do you have that you could offer millennials who are looking to apply for a position with Ryan? What kind of things can they put in their resume or how can they showcase themselves to make them stand out as a viable candidate for you? I think when we finish an interview with someone, most of us, we have a pretty formal process just like most companies do. You have to you know, go through the competency questions and all that. But when I finish an interview, I know that one thing I step back and reflect on is several things. Was this person, are they excited about, do they even understand what this opportunity is? Is, is it apparent? in the conversation that we had that they did enough research on us to know more than just the title of the position they're applying for and that they have the education and the credentials we need. Did they really get into us enough? So have you, you can tell by in an interview whether or not someone has checked out your website. So I think being really knowledgeable about a company regardless uh, whether you're millennial or anyone else, that definitely applies. But also, someone who's applying, when, when I at the end that conversation, I have great clarity about what's driving that person and why they're interested in this opportunity, not just to have a job, but how it aligns with their, what their aspirations are. Now, we're, we, we know when we get people through the door here, no matter what generation, but especially with millennials, that the likelihood of that individual switching to another opportunity in a few years uh, is high because we know the stats show that there are going to be a number of different job, job opportunities that they're going to be, be given or that they'll be seeking. But we want to know at the moment that we hire them that they have done the homework about knowing that this is probably a good match that they've been very forthcoming about what their goals are and that this is potentially a good fit for them. So I think asking some good questions is always important as well, making sure that they 
they ask questions that show not only that they know the company company's business, but about its culture. I think some fundamental things about looking for a job are, are the same with millennials. I do think though, if if you know as as a person coming into a, a company like Ryan that you have certain things that are showstoppers for you, you you need you would know that we're flex if you look at our environment. So you might have a question or two about how that works. If hopefully our recruiting team would have answered that for you before you meet with a hiring manager, but. If you get into the conversation and you find out, I am interviewing with a company that has a great business model, but it's also got a culture, from what I can tell, that really would irritate me. I don't think I can handle it here. If your flags are up and your radar is up in that respect, you need to be honest with yourself and honest with that potential employer about the potential lack of fit and not try to force yourself around mm -hmm. peg into the square hole or vice versa. You mentioned about obviously millennials are more likely to want to be looking for additional opportunities. Within the structure of Ryan, are there opportunities for a millennial to come in in one position and then have an opportunity to open the door for other positions within the company? Definitely. We like for people to find their niche at Ryan that come into the consulting side of the firm, which is about 70% of our employees are on the service delivery side. And we have over 40 different practice areas. So someone coming straight out of college with a degree in accounting or business, finance, one of those related fields, might not be really sure exactly where they want to land. So we want them to understand what the opportunities are well enough to hopefully land in one area and give it a shot. However, if they get into it and find, you know, I've just joined the abandoned and un unclaimed property group. I've been at it for six months, but now that I've been here a while, I'm really intrigued with what the motor fuels tax area is doing because I'd really love to work with airlines or like the oil industry and I'd like to get into severance tax or something like that. They will learn. We make sure that all of our folks that come in, even though they are assigned to a specific practice area and a team, that we have a selling the value series of very bits and bytes. Uh, they can go onto our learning management system and in 30 minutes understand one practice area inside out, what it does and why our clients should care. So they'll, they'll understand what the landscape is and then have the opportunity if they want to land somewhere else or test a couple of different practice areas, they can do that. Our goal is for them to at some point figure out early in their career, within a few years hopefully, this is the area of specialty I want to be in because our goal is for them to hopefully become a neurosurgeon in that area. That's what's really valuable to our clients instead of having a pool of people who have an inch deep of knowledge in about 30 different spaces. We like to go to our clients with a team that has specialists who have worked for a long time in their industry and in their practice area so they can very quickly bring value to our clients. But we do recognize for whether it be a millennial or, or others, if you're coming into this company, there you may attach to a certain thing that then takes you down a different path, and we do facilitate that. And is part of that facilitation offering training there either through your company or opportunities for them to engage in exterior training through different colleges or universities? We, or? Both. Both. Okay. We have a very robust training organization. In fact, in the last five years, we had five different wins with the ATD, used to be ASTD, the training organization internationally only names about 35 companies a year to that list, and we have been on it five times. So that's evidence of the robustness of our training function, but we also have tuition reimbursement so that people can opt to, you don't have to go for a degree, but if you decide that you want to take a couple of classes that are in a discipline that you're not as familiar with as you want to, then you can do that as well. So they have different ways. Continuous learning is huge for us. We have a global learning initiative, in fact, that requires people to get a certain number of hours each year. In fact, our exempt staff this year, we just are closing out the cycle today. It runs through the end of June. 
over the last 12 months, they were all required to get at least 50 hours of professional development. There are different ways they can do that, and we help them with that. We see that as a huge benefit and an expectation that they continue to learn. Before someone gets a job at Ryan, are there any tips you might suggest for them in terms of preparing for a career at Ryan, uh, maybe even while they're in college or while they're at a job with another firm, but they want to... Yeah, we, we do have presentation skills classes and people skills classes and things like that, which we've had for a long time, especially with the advent, with iPhones and smart, everybody having smartphones. I'd come from an environment where everyone had Blackberries and they weren't part of the, the fabric here. And as we became a technology savvy company in that respect and found that we have a lot of expectations around emails and how we handle those, that there's a different style of communication that's abbreviated, especially when it comes to emails and such. And we've had to, to figure out how to help people not change them and say, oh, you have to do it the way we did it 15 years ago, but kind of meet in the middle. I think that's the one thing that we've found in this whole journey is that we have to meet each other where we are. It's not just us meeting millennials where they are. It's millennials recognizing that when it comes right down to it, when they come into a workplace, there needs to be a mutual respect so that there's an understanding for how each of us got where we are and learn from each other and respect that and not judge that and then adjust accordingly so that we can communicate effectively, but not just say magically overnight, I'm going to turn you millennial into me so that you will now adopt my habits, nor vice versa is a millennial is not likely going to turn somebody who's in their 40s or 50s into behavior that is exactly like theirs. And that's okay. It's not a right or a wrong. It's just where we are. So we have to learn to compromise and meet each other. I guess one piece of advice I would have is to keep an open mind about a company like Ryan and what we would consider ourselves to be somewhat of a boutique firm in the tax advisory space because our peers that are out there are much larger than we are, the big four, and some others that are in that space. Frequently when you're in college and you're just looking at the traditional approach, I'm going to get my accounting degree and I'm going to work for one of the big four because that's the thing to do. We think that's a wonderful thing to do. Many of our folks have spent time in those environments, but when we go on campus and we're recruiting and we're talking, giving information sessions, we want them to recognize that there are other options out there, not just because the accounting professors frequently because of their own backgrounds are leading them to that predetermined solution as an option for a career. But we really believe that it's good to step back and look at the big picture. They have opportunities for internships with companies like ours and the big four, but don't write off the opportunity for a smaller company that because it's smaller can be a little bit more agile and also offer some unique opportunities. So I would say tied to that, just study Listen to what the wonderful professors that you have, listen to what they have to tell you and their guidance, but also think outside the box a little bit. Do a little digging yourself on some of those opportunities that might not be as visible where the big flag isn't being waved in front of your face and give yourself a shot so that you don't lock yourself into something prematurely that might not be the right answer for you. And on the other side of it, when someone does get a job at Ryan, beyond things that have already been mentioned, I'm wondering if you have any additional tips in terms of how that person might best succeed at a, a career at Ryan? Well, I think that you can never overestimate the value of good communication skills to talk about helping them with presentation skills and such. But the people that I see that get ahead the quickest are those who can communicate effectively, 
accurately, succinctly. They can flex to the audience, not just in person when you're speaking in front of a group or to an individual, but in writing. So one of the biggest challenges I see is that because people are so accustomed to texting and using emoticons and abbreviating, you will see someone come to this environment who will write something that's an important topic, but it's too casually handled. And as a result, that can hurt their credibility. So I text. I know I've become very accustomed to, and I have a daughter who's a millennial and understand that. But I do know that my credibility is on the line when I'm sending an email to my CEO. And if I were to send abbreviated words that might be misconstrued and I don't capitalize everything and I'm sloppy about my spelling, it's very casual. So I think it's really important to not be judgmental about that, just to recognize how you can leverage communication and make sure you get those basic skills down. Don't ignore the fact that there's still a place in this world for writing and for speaking in complete sentences and for being eloquent and for getting your point across in a way that is sometimes a little more formal than you might like to handle it if you were sending a text. And obviously it's coming from someone who's... uh superbly eloquent and articulate. uh, (laughs) Well, I was a journalism major in English and taught school for a couple years right out of college, and I love the written word. I was in sales for a number of years, too, and the combination, I I guess I would throw that in, too. The best thing I ever did was, one, really hone my writing skills. That came from a dad who was a writer, but also sales. All of us are in sales at one point or another. You are selling yourself. You're selling an idea. You're selling something, whether you're literally a salesperson or not. We have a whole large group of business development salespeople here. But I spent a few years in sales after teaching for a couple of years. Best thing I ever did because I learned the value of making the ask. And in the roles that I've been in as an executive in companies in the last years, I am always still making the ask. I did so today. I sat through meetings with my CEO where my whole group is planning and staffing for the next year, and I know how to position and sell. So I think if you can go into um, your career armed with mastery of the language, whether it be English or whatever other language is your first or your, your chosen second language, and that ability to understand how sales work, And you don't have to go into sales for several years to do it. You can pick up on the basics of how to sell and how to position things and how to make the ask. Those two things are incredibly valuable for anybody in any career, I believe. Are there any other tips that you have that you'd like to suggest? I guess one is a really obvious one that I I was thinking about it as we were talking, and I was hesitant to say it, but I'll just say this. There are a couple of times that I've interviewed folks who fall into that category who, and there are you need to come dressed for success. And that doesn't mean suit and tie necessarily because there are many business casual environments. But I once interviewed someone who was a referral from a friend of our firm who was almost a shoe-in for an internship. And she came straight from a workout with her workout clothes on. And they were not, they were kind of skimpy workout clothes at that. And I was I was pretty shocked. She's about the age that my daughter is. And I, and I asked my daughter, like, I said, am I being approved? And she said, oh, my gosh, no, Mom. She said, I would never do that. But I would say make sure you present yourself when you're interviewing. And when you walk through, dress for the job you want, not for the one you have. But if you don't have a job, definitely dress in a way that's, you don't have to be a 10 on a scale of 1 to 10, but just don't dress in a way that's going to cause you to get attention in a negative way. That's kind of a simple, probably common sense one, but I've seen that one violated enough times. But I also coupled with that, we've talked a lot about communication. It's not just your words, it's your body language. So 
how you look at the eye contact, all the things that help you connect with whoever you're interviewing with. And once you get the job, when you're meeting with your manager, making sure you're engaged and present and not having a judgmental look on your face. There's so much about body language combined with what you're speaking that tells speaks volumes. People do make that first impression makes a huge difference. And that's one that you can blow really quickly if you're not really cautious about things. We really appreciate the willingness to share information about Ryan. Really appreciate your time. Yeah, I greatly appreciate that. Well, thank you very much for reaching out to us. It's really an honor, and we really have had a great and are having a great journey and are happy to share tips with anyone that can benefit from them. So thank you for this chance. We really do appreciate that. Hi, and I thank you for listening to this interview. Please frequently visit our The Millennial Career Playbook website at tmcpb.com as we're always adding new interviews and other content designed to help you find a job or enhance your career.